I think, too, today it's gotten incredibly commercial. I mean, there are some Christian colleges you can major in Christian music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's kind of like, really? It's, it's not a calling anymore. It's a career. And I think there's a big difference between a calling and a career. I, I just feel this sense of commercialization that has gone way over the deep end. Between the Grooves is hosted by James Curtis, music director and morning man in the greater Toronto area on Joy Radio, and Drew Brown, Juno-nominated singer-songwriter and worship leader. Both hope to share insights into Christian music, exploring ministry, message, and everything in between. You can connect with the show at faithstrongtoday.com slash between the grooves or via Twitter at Between Grooves. Now, here's James and Drew. We are back. It's James Curtis and Drew Brown for episode number 182. And uh, we are in our remote studios once again. I'm at the station. Drew, you're in your home studio. We got a little bit of an echo there, I hear. A little bit, a little bit. That's okay. That's okay. I can still hear you. You can hear me and everybody can hear us. So that's the main thing. a A bit of a coincidence. I also feel like I'm 182 years old. (laughs) Touche, touche. Why do you feel so old? Why do you feel so old? Just a busy, busy time? I have no idea. (laughs) I guess so. Yeah, it's been a busy weekend, but I'm just ready for for bed. And I I woke up like three hours ago. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Nothing like a little nap. (laughs) That's right. Well, it's Between the Grooves. It's your weekly look at music ministry and everything in between with today's top Christian artists. And today's episode, my goodness, it features a great conversation with a pioneer in the CCM world, Scott Wesley Brown. Uh, We're going to be chatting with, uh, you know, life, what it's been like for him over the last four decades, because that's how long he's been doing it. He's been instrumental in where we are today, um, how music and technology, for that matter, has evolved. He is truly a legend, and uh, so we're hoping we can uh, share some stories as well with him, and that is coming up in just a bit. But before we get to it, we need to check in with the Community Corkboard. Community Corkboard, community. Um, No, I don't have the energy. Just don't have it today, eh? That's not happening. Not okay. Happening. No. no big time. deal. I promise next time. Next time will be amazing. Hey, we got a comment from uh, our chat with uh, Lori and Stacy of Merge PR last week. Uh, mm. Somebody wrote me a note, uh, I think on Facebook or whatever, and uh, saying they really enjoyed listening to the varied preferences of communication. No, we chatted a little bit huh. about that. Email, yeah. telephone, texting, right. website, Carrier everything vision. else. Yep. Smoke and, signals, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then they also said, should they be calling me? It's like, uh, well, sure. If you got something to talk about, (laughs) but it was nice to, uh, it was nice to uh, hear that. Uh, and they appreciated all the tips. So I just wanted to mention that before we get into the rest of community corkboard here. And, uh, we did get a note from one of our previous guests from uh, lullaby house music Uh, on social Mm. media. They sent us a note and said they wanted to let us know that they have released their third album entitled safe and sound. So check that out folks it's a great way to uh especially if you've got young kids um that's right you know put them to bed with this stuff or you know wake up with it or just have it playing in the background it's great stuff yeah they are amazing at what they do we also have previous guest Rhonda louise her new single something better is out on radio and streaming check it out man let's support some Canadian artists out there there you go and if you have any comments or anything that you'd like to uh let us 
know about so that we can let all of our listeners know about. You can hit us up on social media, on uh, Facebook and Twitter, or you can email us at betweenthegrooves at faithstrongtoday.com. And that was Community Cookboard, Community Cookboard. Was that in stereo? No. Nice try, though. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know what? I wanted to have a little chat with you. Uh, I don't want to mention any names here, but I've noticed, I don't know if it happens to everybody or it just happens to prominent artists, and and I'm thinking it shouldn't, but I noticed there was an artist that I'm familiar with. Uh, in fact, I believe they were even a guest on our on our podcasts uh, within the last couple of years. And this, okay. art, I'm not going to say his name. Now you know it's okay. a he. But it appeared that his it appeared that his website got hacked. Oh my gosh! How can you let that happen? You make your website secure. You know you've got the HTTPS. Make it secure yes. and and lock it down uh, so that nobody can go in there and hack your stuff and change your stuff. I was playing around at Christmas time, you know, creating a little website just for the fun of it, just to you know pass the time. And one of the first things I did after I went live was to make this thing a secure site. And if you wanted to get into this website and break into it, I mean, I don't even know the password. It's so complicated, you know. <laughs> right, right. But but secure website and that also brings out the conversation about. You know, the you're having your socials locked down as well. You know, your Facebook, your Twitter, and your Instagram. I know we've encountered over the years artists, Christian artists, where somebody has hacked their Twitter feed or something like that, their Twitter profile, and and made changes. And they they either lost that you know username, mm-hmm. and I had to go with another one, or they finally got it back after months and months and months. Whatever happened to two step authentication? I mean, it's there. I, I think I mean, they should think- be using it. They probably are. I think even now, I think it's kind of like the thing to do. I, I I would assume that it's not so much in terms of like not making it secure as does hackers just getting better at their jobs. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> with the with the two step authentication on your socials, for instance, I mean, you got to you're going to get a text message if you're logging in for right. a computer that you've never logged in before. You're going to get a text message confirming that it's you, right? And perhaps have to add, you know enter in a password or whatever else, or go in go on to you know. Usually, it's it's some kind of text message on your device Something. that tells you that's right. That tells you, hey, you've just logged into a computer that you've never logged into before. Is that really you? That's right. So, yeah, totally. So I don't know how hackers could break into that type of code. Are they going to have three-step authentication one of these days? <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe. But I mean, even with the websites where they don't have that kind of feature, usually anyway, I think like, I mean, if, if large companies can get hacked and they have, you know, a t- teams of like IT people on their side, how easy would it be for an artist who probably has like one other person working for them and they're using like Wix or you yeah, know, Squarespace yeah. or, I mean, I think, or even worse, they're using like something they made on their own domain and they didn't actually put those practices into place. Maybe right. they did. Right. I think hackers are just getting better at their jobs. I think yeah. they're just becoming way more savvy that they can break into them. Yeah, I think I, I think that's partly uh, to do. I mean, your comment about big companies and getting their sites hacked. Yeah, I understand that. You know, you would hope that you would never hear something like that with government agencies and stuff like that. But you totally. do. You oh do my hear, gosh. You do, you do hear do it on the time. news. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So hopefully, this artist where this happened recently. I haven't looked on their website recently to you know to uh, to see if it's still the case but hopefully they haven't had one of these ransom things because that's another big thing this ransomware thing where where they get hacked and the only way they can get back in is to pay thousands of dollars in ransomware and and then you know will it ever happen again or they have they got you you know it's like blackmail they're going to keep getting you you all the time because they know you'll pay right 
That's right. So, yeah, I just uh, thought oh, I'd, I'd bring that up. I mean, whatever you can do as an artist to secure your website and especially on your social media stuff, get that two-step authentication happening for your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, just to protect yourself because it's just a big mess to have to clean up later on. Now I'm just paranoid. So now I got to make sure it's all set up you want to take a break and so just make sure that's all yeah yeah, yeah please yeah, take a break that'd so. be great thank you okay so we'll okay, just you. cancel this week's episode because drew is busy checking his socials to make sure it's all locked down it's important yeah. man yeah oh yeah but what's more important it's, it's important we've, we've got an episode to do here come on it's fine i can do both i can do both don't worry the one thing i should also mention drew <laughs> one thing i should also <laughs> yeah. mention is that we are both in remote studios but yeah. we've got the facetime thing happening so now you know, last week we didn't have it. And then we thought, I think it was your suggestion. Hey, we should get the FaceTime thing happening. Mute the FaceTime so we can actually see each other. So now I can see you and yes. make faces at you and whatever else. So, Which I love. I miss your face. Oh, I miss yours too, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Saying it I the way I did that. too, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was our oh. little uh, discussion because we've got to get to our uh, we've got to get to our guest for this week. Um, I told my mom that we're going to be talking to Scott Wesley Brown. Yeah, and, she, and she was like, she was like, but you, How, you, like, thanks, mom. <laughs> but thanks. Did, yes. but did she try to send a message along too? You know, you know how people do that. Oh, if you're talking <laughs> to him, could you say that? You know, I really like this album. It's like I don't know if that they actually necessarily care. I'm sure they appreciate it, yeah. but. <laughs> I get that once in a while. Oh, if you're talking right. to them, can you let them know? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Your mom was saying that, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that's, I take it we've got great. one extra listener for this week's episode. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Good. Well, download wherever you get your podcast, folks. This guy is still very active in the music community. The CCM music legend, Scott Wesley Brown. Let's get to it right now. Between the Grooves. That is yes, it. Yes, yes. You've got James here and my co-host, Drew. Hey, man. It is such an awesome pleasure mm-hmm. to have you on our little show. Well, I'm honored to be on it. For a guy who's been doing this for more than four decades, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting because a lot of times the people on our show, uh, the artists or musicians that we bring on are, I wouldn't say relatively new to the industry, but they are, you know, newer artists, yeah, you know, yeah. that are on charts and, and mm-hmm. whatever else. And, you know, it's interesting to hear their perspective on stuff. But then when we get somebody like you, who has been one of the most influential artists worldwide, it's like, wow, I, I don't want to sound uh, sacrilegious here, but I just want to sit at your feet and worship you. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know about that. But you could ask my wife. She's in the other room. She should do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I can help you out there. I can <laughs> put a good word put in for some you. marital advice here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is uh, this is a it's a huge honor for us. Um, you're like when I think about some of the great names in the you know the CCM timeline, you know, in the history of of, of this genre, you're definitely one of the top people I think about. Um, wow. Well, thank you. You do some great work, some great songs. Your voice is like butter. It's it's. I can't wait to spend some time with you and hang out. This is great. So, Drew, could I could I start here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm just. I guess my first um, question, uh, the, the thing I'm intrigued about, the something something that I just want to uh, just get out of the way is is this, Scott. Do you miss the Jesus music era of the '70s? 
Oh, of course I do. Um, I miss a lot of my friends and just the excitement of getting started in my ministry. Uh, everything was kind of just bursting onto the scene. I mean, the the, the Jesus movement itself, uh, what was going on with the Jesus festivals, and everything was new. We we were it was a whole new horizon for the church, and to be a part of that was a was just a great honor. And so, yeah, I do miss it. Now it's just kind of become well, it's an industry. You know, who's yeah, the next? Yeah. Yeah. Who's the next big artist and all of that? So these Jesus festivals, I'm I'm really curious. I I went to one when I was a kid, and I was uh, honestly I was too young to remember all the details. I just remember it was my mom that took us. There were thousands of people there. Um, I I remember the big tower where the sound booth was. I remember all the you know different. Uh, shows happening on the main stage i remember at one point my mom pulled us and said oh let's go over here to the lake there was a lake right right by you know close by and they were doing baptisms and all this amazing stuff that was happening but the one thing i don't remember like was there a was there a cost for people to attend this thing like did you was there an admission admission charge or was this was it covered off by churches was it supported elsewhere like I'm, i'm just really really curious as to how that whole thing happened well, I, I do believe there was some sort of an entrance fee because uh, the artist got paid to yeah, do it. Right. right. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, you know, maybe, have... but but you know, maybe you were getting you know sales on on cassettes and and albums or something. That's what you know. I was thinking that maybe that that's how the artists were being paid or, or you know compensated somehow. But if there was an entrance fee, it had to be dirt cheap for thousands of people to be there. Yeah, I think they really tried to keep it as low as they could. And I know um, some of the festivals had people donating to it to try to defray the cost. You know, you might have some churches that would volunteer to do the sound or pay for this or that. And uh, so they kept it at really minimal prices. Um, And we didn't get tons of money. We got a little small honorarium, I think, um, to cover our expenses of getting there and everything. And of course, you did have sales. And I think at that time, it was eight tracks. So I I dated myself saying the cassettes and albums. I thought I was being like, you know, knowing what I was talking about there. Now I just look like an idiot. You're right, eight tracks. I forgot about that. Yeah. Do you still have any eight tracks kicking around? I've only got two albums on eight track. I, I, and I actually found them in an old box. I was cleaning out and I thought, oh my gosh, look at these. And uh, so it was kind of fun. And nothing to play them back on, right? No, there's no way. Yeah. 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 yeah and I've got a few cassettes left and, and uh, I still have an old Walkman that I could put those in, but everything's on the computer now. Most of it, whatever they digitize. Yeah, uh, there are some songs of mine that are are just lost forever. I don't know how to find them. Right. Well, you just re-record them. No big <laughs> yeah, deal. There you yeah. Go. yeah. Easy. <laughs> yeah. No problem. Yeah. Well, yeah. I obviously there's some work involved, but yeah. if you release it as a new song, nobody would know. No, no. You know, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we talked to a lot of artists who, um, you know, they they are they spend a lot of time being worship pastors and worship leaders, and then they sort of break out and do the CCM thing and travel as a touring artist or as a worship artist. You were like a super successful <laughs> CCM artist, and then became a worship pastor. Um, how was yeah. that transition for you? Um, uh, just in terms of like the shift in terms of like, because even when you led work, even when you led your songs, it still felt like you're leading worship and you had that kind of gift. So I don't think those probably not as a, much of a shift in terms of how you did it, but even in terms of like, um, was, was there any like, 
How'd you, how was that feeling for you to kind of focus more on sort of, sort of one family congregation versus sort of traveling around the world? Was there any pros and cons to that? How was that experience for you moving from CCM artist to worship pastor? Well, it was kind of a transition. Um, when I was living in Nashville, um, I had gone to actually went over to to Hong Kong for a tour and ended up becoming a part of a ministry over there for a little bit. And one of the teachers, a guy named Jeff Ling, um, came and did a, a class for our, our ministry and he taught on worship. And I'd never really thought about worship uh, set apart as a different way of you know, leading the church and ministering to the church. Mine was always more performance and sharing, you know, stories and testimonies, yeah. but not really leading people corporately. And maybe they did worship. Hopefully I used to say, I think my songs are worshipful, mm-hmm. but they're maybe not congregational. Um, but when I went back to Nashville, our church was really struggling with finding a, a guy to lead the, the worship on Sunday mornings. And so they asked me if I would just kind of help coordinate it. And we had a lot of artists in our church. I mean, we had Amy Grant, and Michael W. Smith, and Stephen Curtis, and, you know, you name it. We had so many uh, groups there. And so I was asking all these artists that when they were off the road, could they come and they could they help lead worship? And sometimes I would join them and then eventually I started leading more often, and um, I, I started really enjoying what I was doing and feeling like, you know, when you, when you perform in a concert, it's kind of like the focus is on you. You want to dazzle people with your music and your songs, but when you're leading worship in a church service, the focus is on Christ. And it's not that I didn't want Jesus to get the glory in my concerts, but I felt like <laughs> the worship service was solely, we were there not so I can entertain people with my music or my my new songs um, or how good we sounded. And we had the best players in Nashville in our church. But we were all there, and I realized, you know, all of us were kind of going through that metamorphosis, you know, of, of learning about worship. And, uh, and I just enjoyed it so much. I thought, you know, I think I might have found my new calling. And that happened over a period of about six years, seven years, while I was at this church in, in Franklin, Tennessee. Hmm. Franklin, Tennessee, we hear that that location many times when we're talking to artists, because that's where everybody lives. It's my second home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, talking about that transition, uh, let's talk technology transition for a minute. <laughs> so, so, you know, and I'm talking transition like, like going from actual monitors on the ground to in-ear monitors to, you know, going into a recording studio versus, you know, these days people have their home studios with all the, you know, stuff right. they need or, you know, right. an amp versus a DI box, that sort of thing. Or, or even, even actual instruments versus computer generated instruments. What's that, <laughs> what's that been like over the years? Well, I, you know, I'm still kind of old school. <laughs> uh, I appreciate all the technology and stuff. And um, I mean, I just had a track done last week with a friend of mine back in Nashville. And it's all, you know, computerized drums and keyboards and everything. And, and it sounds great. But I remember the days it was just a bunch of guys, you know, kind of jamming together and, and playing um, live. And I miss those days. I mean, I do have a group that occasionally I can pull together and we go out and we, we do worship around here in Southern California. Um, but 
it, the industry has changed so much in the technology and studios and recording. I mean, on my last album, you know, I would do my vocals here in my little studio in, in my garage, and then some other guy would do the guitar part in his living room in Nashville, and then another guy in San Francisco would put the drums on, and it was all just synced together in one central studio. That's a whole different world for me, and uh, it's an exciting world, but it's really strange in many ways. Yeah, I, I think it is exciting uh, in that it, it, with technology, the internet, uh, even even the pandemic. You've seen these collaborations done online uh, where people right. couldn't physically get together, so they've been doing these things together and recording stuff. And to me, that's that's great to see how the technology is being used. Uh, but it's certainly a learning curve uh, as the technology continues to change, right? Like it's 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 always changing. It's always evolving. It's 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 crazy. Well, it is, and and for me as an artist uh, and a songwriter, it's uh, it is particularly challenging, and especially during this pandemic. Uh, I mean, I wanted to start singing some songs and putting them up on YouTube, and uh, singing to my computer you're not singing to an audience and you're just singing and trying to get the right gear the mixer the microphones i mean i it took me months to try to figure this whole thing out and then what's the best platform to put it on and how do you edit it uh it's it's a whole different world but it's exciting i mean i think what's happening in terms of the digital communication world is really expanding most churches i know right now a lot of them, even though they might have less attendance in their buildings because of certain rules, uh, pandemic rules, they have a greater audience uh, on Zoom or on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And that's also happening with music. Uh, one of my good friends, Bob Bennett, has a he does a, a live concert every Friday or Saturday night from his den. And he's just hundreds of people go to that every week and they watch Bob and listen to him. Otherwise, you know, because of the pandemic, you know, all, all of his dates, all of my dates, most of us, we've lost all of our concerts and our opportunities, even conferences. I've I've led worship at several conferences this year uh, in my little studio by just say, sending us a, a, a song to them and, and leading a few worship songs. So it is a different world. And, you know, I, I heard the other day that Zoom before the pandemic had 10 million users now they have over 300 million that's right yeah and it's amazing what's going on their stock prices have shot right up why (laughs) i wonder why yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's right if only we had known we're gonna put some money into (laughs) it exactly oh the one thing the one thing to beware is the 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 sound on zoom is horrible so yeah uh, i i actually led some worship for an international meeting with about 30 or 40 different international pastors all synced in at the same time around the world. And to hear that playback, I was, oh, my word, that's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) But if I can say... If Zoom can conquer that and get that fidelity issue worked out, I think it would be a super platform for for music and ministry to to go out. I agree. It it will get better. And And I think... I think part of the problem is is that uh, anybody who's an audio buff or a musician or an artist, um, you know what you what it should sound like, right? And and I think yeah. we overall have gotten a lot more picky 
not in a bad sense, but, you know, in a good sense where we want the best quality sound. And so when you encounter a situation like that on a Zoom and even, you know, part of the reason could be because a lot of people have their mics on where it's just mute everybody so you can actually put on something that sounds half decent. But even then, right. you're limited to the quality of the inter- internet and, and mm-hmm. you know, the signal that goes out and whatnot. So, yeah, it's, right. it's, it's interesting to see all this technology and I've been impressed on how it's being used uh, and getting better all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, besides yourself, Scott, uh, besides yourself, who is your favorite worship leader as or an artist? Oh, wow. You know, you see I've how I said so besides many, yourself, right? Uh, <laughs> oh, I've got so many friends in, in Christian music, and I love each one of them, you know, individually for their sound, their, their style, their heart. Uh, I belong to a couple of, you know, fellowships where it's just all Christian musicians. Once a year we meet in Nashville, although I think our thing has been canceled this year. Um, all kinds of guys going all the way back to guys like Chuck Gerard and wow. Randy Stonehill all wow. the way to... Uh, I'm know, jealous. I'm jealous newer... right now. <laughs> um, you know, I, Bruce Carroll and I are good friends, and we write often. And as I mentioned, Bob Bennett, Steve mm-hmm. Camp, and I talk quite often. Um, <sighs> and uh, Wayne Watson, Dallas Home, Michael Card, Steve Green. Um, I mean, a lot of these guys are, are real dear friends of mine. Um, and uh, we communicate. I've been working on a couple of uh, albums that I've done. They're, they're kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, an album where you've got several different artists coming together, compilation-type albums on, on songs about family and about grandparenting. And and uh, so I've really been able to touch base with a lot of my old buddies and work on those projects together. Leon Patillo and I do stuff together. Um I mean, there's just so many guys out there. And, you know, it's it's kind of like when sometimes I do get the opportunity to minister alongside of them in a church or in a conference or something, I'll think, oh, man, they are the absolute best. And I just love what they do and the way God uses them. And then, then a month later, I'm at another conference or concert, and there's another artist, and I think, oh, they're the absolute best. You know? Right, right. Yeah, 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 that's right. So, I, I mean, I, I love all those guys, and you know, there, and many of us, I think, have gotten beyond the old days of competitiveness, and now we're just brothers in arms, and we we we're all going through the same things in life. You know, most of us are older and got grandparents. So, you know, we've got grandkids, and and we're learning new things in life, and 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 so we're sort of all in the same boat, um, so to speak, and. Um, you know, not selling as many records and wondering where your next concert is going to come from. So there's a real camaraderie there of guys who are just praying for one another, supporting one another, encouraging one another. So for me, that's been a real plus. For me, if I ever attended a concert type event where all you guys were sitting in the audience. Oh my gosh. And, and one of you got up to sing a song and then, and then that person introduces the next guy and say, Hey, yeah, why don't you do this song to, to another fellow artist and stuff? That would be like, that would be the best concert. Yeah. Well, we did that for about three years in a row in the Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania area. We had a thing called the legends concert (sighs) and, uh, Lots of uh, lots of artists, uh, you know, from Phil Keggy to 
Steve Camp to, uh, oh my gosh, heavy Turnquist was there and, uh, who going way back and, uh, uh, Tim Archer, excuse me, Steve Archer, uh, from the Archers, and David Meese, and uh, oh, yeah. of course Chuck Gerard was there, and John Schlitt from Petra, and I mean we all got together and uh, we had the, the best time. And it's unfortunate the pandemic really has shut down those those reunions because they each year they would have about maybe eight artists. And we'd all come together, and we would just worship the Lord together and have pizza together, and then we'd minister together. And it was just a great kind of reunion. When when you guys get together, and, and I, I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask this question, because I'm sure you guys you know talk about the old days and how you know things were different or better or worse, you know, depending on um, your experiences, you know, back in the day. Are there things that you wish you saw more of in this era of the CCM world? Are there things that sort of ha- were done back in the day that you wish was would happen again, or you wish that younger artists would would grab a deeper hold of? Is there something that you want to see more of in this day and age of the CCM world? Well, one thing is I do think um, a couple of years ago when I was back in Nashville. Um, I was with my good friend Billy Smiley, who was yes. in a group called Whiteheart. Love that band. And we we went over to our old record company, Sparrow Records, and we walked in, and all these um, CD covers are all over the walls of all of their artists, and none of the old artists were up on the walls. Mm. And um, I remember um, we went up to the to the lady at the front. We were there to see Eddie DeGarmo, who mm-hmm. was used to be with DeGarmo and Key, because yep. uh, he was in charge of publishing. And, and, and so we went up to the, the lady at the front, the receptionist, and, and we, we told her we had a meeting with Eddie. And she said, who, who are you guys? And Billy said, I'm Billy Smiley. And I said, I'm Scott Wesley Brown. And she went, Scott Wesley who? And, um, you know, it's just kind of like, here you're back at your old record company, and they have no clue who you guys are. And, you know... I, I was one of the first five artists on Sparrow. Yeah, that's right. Along with Keith Green and the second chapter of Act yep. and you know, Barry McGuire and guys like that. You know, and, and not not that I felt like I needed to be stroked or anything, but they they have no sense of the history of their own record label. Yeah. And that also transcends into the main arena of contemporary Christian music that artists today have no sense, most of them. I'm not going to say all of them, but most of them don't have any clue who guys that went before them, you know, who they are and what, what, what the, you know, the things that we had to battle through. I mean, to get a drum set into a church was a big <laughs> issue in our day, That's right. yeah. you know, yeah. and, um, it's cause, and, it's so, cause there won't be drums in heaven, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Only, only clanging cymbals. I exactly. Guess, but, That's right. Apparently. Uh, yeah. But anyway, you know, it's just I feel like there's a sense of history that has been lost of the guys who pioneered it. And um, uh, that that it's kind of painful, you know, because you, you, you feel like all the work and that you did was nobody remembers it. Your generation remembers it, you know, but the new kids don't. And I, I can understand it in some sense. I mean, I remember asking this girl one time who was interning for me in Nashville he said, hey, do you like the music of James Taylor? And she went, who? And I said, James Taylor, you know, Fire, you know, fire and Rain, you, don't you remember that song? No. Wow. And uh, I guess it happens in the secular world as well. I don't think quite as much. But 
it's just it's just a sad thing and i i, I think too today it's gotten incredibly commercial i mean there are some christian colleges you can major in christian music yeah yeah <laughs> i mean to me that's kind of like really it's, it's not a calling anymore it's a career and i think there's a big difference between a calling and a career mm-hmm. um and I, I i struggle with the way the industry is now now the plus side of it is they really can get the music out there and there's some great songs i mean i i love some of the new songs that have come out um you know, and, and but by the same token, I, I just feel this sense of uh, really commercialization that has gone way over the deep end. I think there is at times a resurgence, though. I mean, I find when I am in the car and I'm driving and I let the kids choose the radio station, I'm hearing songs that I grew up with non-christian songs uh-huh. you know secular type sure, songs sure. that i grew up with and i'm and i'm just kind of smirking to myself because they're getting into it and i'm thinking this is an old song guys and and you like it this, yeah. is, this is awesome right yeah and it's yeah. and it's like you know when i was in when i was in you know elementary school the thing was jean jackets right everybody wore jean jackets well you know what jean jackets are back apparently yeah yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I've got a leather jacket that I'm pretty proud of. And it's like, oh, I guess I'm out of fashion because I'm not wearing a jean jacket now. You know, <laughs> sorry, kids. I, well, tell you how bad I am. I never knew the jean jackets went out. Same here. Same here. <laughs> Same here. Touche. Touche. Yeah. Okay. 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 Sorry, I'm I'm I'm, I'm fanboying here because this is this is so cool that we get to talk to you right now. Um, I'm curious, like, about your first impressions on some of these other artists, like like when you first met, let's say like a Steve Green, mm-hmm. what was, <laughs> like what was, the, cause I mean, you you were like probably his hero, I'm assuming a lot, but I'm, I'm assuming he probably looked up to you as like a, a hero in this industry, in this, in, this, in this realm, in this genre. So what was that relationship like when you, when you sort of first bumped into him? Well, you know, it's interesting, uh, Steve actually came out of Whiteheart. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot. He was the lead singer. That's right. Yeah. And that's about when I met him. Um, and he was doing that whole The Rock thing yeah, with Whiteheart. That's, that's and right. Then he, Billy Ray at Sparrow Records. Uh, Whiteheart was on Sparrow. And that's I was Billy Ray Hearn? Billy, right. Yeah. And Billy yeah. Ray really was looking for a, a real super duper inspirational singer and he kept pushing me in that direction and i always kind of had more folk rock roots and stuff and ballad rock and i mean neil diamond kind of stuff and um billy smiley always tells me meatloaf you know you always think i'm meatloaf christian meatloaf (laughs) christian Christian meatloaf that's it (laughs) wow but anyway but steve billy ray i just heard steve's voice and just said you need to go that direction and of course it was a perfect fit for steve steve was actually a a neighbor um and so we knew each other quite well went to the same church um i mean i was quite often go over to his house or he'd come over to mine we just kind of known each other throughout the years and uh uh matter of fact steve's on this new grandparenting album that i just released and uh well sort of released it you know it's kind of sitting in boxes right now because <laughs> all of us can't tour yeah but anyway so we've been good friends for for years and have just known each other and i've always respected um steve you know he's got such an incredible uh testimony growing up on the mission field um 
you know, just his voice is such a, an incredible voice. Uh, you know, I'm always afraid when I see him sing, I'm always afraid he's going to pop us something in his neck. Seriously. Like, yeah. He, boy, but he belts it out. Yeah, he and does. It's just an amazing thing. So you don't see a lot of that these days. That's a thing, People belting right? it out and, and popping a vein because, you know, they're, they're <laughs> pushing themselves so, so much. Yeah. Yeah. Can you give right. us can you give us more information or tell us more stories around your grandparenting album? I'd love to hear more about that. Well, you know, um there's an organization called the Legacy Coalition and they came out of Awana, which is a, you know, a ministry to younger children. Yep. And um one of the guys in Awana, you know, he had his kids and he was really uh heading up a lot of great things for Awana and his kids grew up and he got married and then they started having children and he thought, what do I do now? Grandkids. Mm. Hey, and Awana really didn't have anything at that time that was geared toward grandkids. It was all for young children, but, but not so much even for grandkids, but for grandparents, there were all kinds of parent seminars and tutorials and things to help them in parenting. But what about grandparents? And so Larry, his name is Larry Fowler. He started developing a curriculum for grandparents and looking up in scripture, you know, what does scripture say about, you know, we're to, we're to teach our children and train them and raise them up in the Lord, uh, generation to generation to generation. And realizing that in America today, there are 30 million Christian grandparents. And a lot of these kids aren't being parented in a Christian uh, family. Uh, many of them, the parents aren't aren't discipling them, uh, or they just maybe take them to church, and that's about their experiencing. But they're they're not really discipling their children. Uh, they're leaving that up to Sunday school or youth group or stuff. Mm-hmm. But Larry has been developing through the you know books of various writers around the country, around the world. Um, a whole curriculum to help grandparents be able to disciple their grandchildren and raise up a godly generation of these kids um, and that they would might train their kids as they as they grow and they grow up and have children of their own so it's an incredible ministry and they've asked me to kind of head up the the music side of things and uh, we did an album uh, a couple of years ago and uh uh, several artists, Bruce Carroll, Bob uh, Bennett, myself, uh, Wayne Watson, uh, Buddy Green, a whole bunch of folks. We all came together and we, we put together this album and I did the coordination of everybody send me your tracks and I'll get them all you know, edited and put together. And, uh, and then we just finished another one just uh, maybe back in the fall. And, um, and again, this album has Steve Green on it and, and Michael Card and uh, Leon Patillo. Um, and, and it was so crazy because I asked Dallas Home if he'd contribute a song. He goes, you know, I think I'll write one, but I don't have a studio to go in. And I said, well, I said, boy, if there's any way you can get it, maybe somehow we can cut the tracks and you can sing it. And he goes, well, I'll figure something out. Well, about a month later, Dallas emails me a song that he recorded on his iPhone. And it's his guitar and his voice on the iPhone, and it sounds great. Wow. So in Nashville, you're talking about technology. We slapped the bass on it, and I don't know if there's anything else, but we put that song on the album, and it's a great <laughs> little song. <laughs> nice. You know? And so that's kind of how this whole thing came together. And so we have two albums out right now. 
And uh, we, you know, uh, of course, one of the things I do when I do concerts now is I talk to grandparents because most of my audience is grandparents now. <laughs> and and uh, so, you know, I say, okay, let's get up out of your walkers. We're going to do some grandparenting ministry here, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, but uh, so it's an exciting opportunity. Uh, a number of the artists have plugged into this uh, uh, legacy coalition, and uh, it's really exciting. Now, I got to say, Scott, uh, you've been name dropping a lot of names, a lot of big, <laughs> big names. names. Yeah. And if I can say, you know, you don't need to, right? Sometimes we talk to artists and they need to name drop <laughs> to, to, you know, prove their self-worth or, or, you know, just to, you know, put themselves where they think they need to be. But you do not need to name drop. <laughs> but, but if anytime you're chatting with these guys... And they want to come on our show. Yeah. They've got an open. They've got an open invitation. Just so That's you know. Right. That's okay. Right. Yeah. Well, I'll be happy. Just well, I've got your phone number here, so I could pass that on. Or just maybe send me a text or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That would be awesome. Send me a text uh, inviting them and um, say, hey, we just did a thing with Scott, and you know, we'd love to have you come on, and uh, I can pass it around to a bunch of my friends. I'm I'm pretty much in touch with a lot of these guys. Many of them on a weekly basis, I talk back and forth. We send each other little memes and jokes and <laughs> yeah. encouragement, and it's kind of fun. You know, it's, that's why I say it's become more kind of like a little, uh, you know, uh, family of, of artists from that generation. Yeah, that's nice, especially during the pandemic, too, yeah, you know, yeah. to be able to keep in yeah. touch with friends and, and, and whatnot. So now I got to ask you, um, and this is going back a little bit ways, I, I read something about how you started writing stuff. Um, and I got to say, it, it, you know, given the pandemic, we've seen a lot of artists uh, set up a challenge for themselves by, you know, writing a song a day for a month or whatever time frame that they, uh, that they determine. And I'm guessing they're kind of copying you because, because what I read was something happened in school, you were doing really bad in English and then you started writing poems. Can you tell us about that? Well, yeah, I was, I was, Flunking grammar, uh, and uh, the teacher. We got to the poetry section, and she gave everybody an assignment to write a poem and go home and bring it in the next day. And I came in. And I worked really hard on my poem, and uh, when she read through them, uh, she said, "She pulled me aside during recess, and she said, I read your poem. Would you mind if I read it to the whole class?'" Of course, I was beaming ear to ear, saying, "Yeah, that'd be great." This was in sixth grade, Mrs. Brewer. And I remember uh, the teacher's name and everything. That's wild. Oh, absolutely. I've tried to find her. As a matter of fact, I did a whole article on her and that this whole story in Guidepost magazine many years ago. Wow. And Guidepost tried to even find her, but we don't know. Yeah. You know, we went back to the school system. They couldn't find her. But anyway, the story is, is that what what she asked me to do after she read it to the class, she pulled me back up and said, I want you to write a, a poem every day. And I want you to bring it to me. And that year she walked me through grammar and proper English using poetry. And by the end of the year, they were, they were going to have a talent show. And uh, so I signed up to, to do a, a, a little band. And I grabbed a few of my buddies. And uh, we formed a little band. We called ourselves the Surfers. Isn't that cute? <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, uh, uh, we did three of my songs that I had written from my poems. And um, and that's where really it all began. And I started writing more and more. And 
putting my palms to music and then eventually sitting down and becoming a serious songwriter and um, you know, years later, signed a contract with a publishing company. And so that's how it all began. I don't write a song a day, uh, you know, but n- anymore, obviously. But I wrote a lot in those days. Now I, it takes me a little bit longer because I really have to work through it and, and wrestle through it. Um, you know, it takes a lot longer. But there are some songs you write, you know, they take you a year. I've, a couple of songs, I've spent a year working on them and collaborating with different people till you just get it to the place where you go, wow, that's it. That is the song, you know, and if it takes a year, so be it. You know, a lot of people I think are in a rush to get a song out. And, uh, and it sometimes it really shows. You know, it's interesting uh, how that all kind of got you into the career that you ended up doing. If you want to even call it a career versus a ministry, but I think it's a great exercise for artists, for for songwriters specifically, because mm-hmm. that's their title, to to practice writing. One of the things in radio, they always tell you, if you want to be in radio, what you have to do is you have to read a lot and read out loud. Um, and, and it just helps you emphasize the right words. It helps you enunciate the right words and, and correctly. <clears throat> and just having that whole conversation style when you're talking on the radio. And so that's the one thing I can take back from when I went to radio college was read lots, read out loud, just practice reading anything you can get your hands on, any kind of article, whether it's in these days online or whatever else. So for, for people in the music business, I think that's probably the number one thing, mm-hmm. you know, in my opinion, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, Drew, but but to just practice writing. Yeah. And and some of them might never see the light of day as far as an actual song is concerned, but to oh, yeah. practice That's writing true. over and over and over again. That's right. That's right. Well, I've got, I've got like you said, songs that will never see the light of day. Um, I've got just notepad after notepad on my desk down where my synthesizer is and my guitars and... Um, I, I'm constantly thinking through ideas, and of course, my my notes on my iPad, the little note icon. I'm constantly going there and thinking of neat ways to say things, and the little memo thing that you can record on. I'm always recording little melodies, so I guess in a sense, I am writing every day, but I don't get a song a day. That's what I'm trying to right, say. Right, it right, it right. takes a while to really get a good song. Now, the other day, I wrote a song in five minutes. I mean, and where did that come from? Well, I think it came from all of the other days that I was sweating through ideas and trying to work through things. Yeah, I yeah, think I think the whole song a day thing is is a, a thing that artists have done just to challenge themselves. Number one, to keep busy, but number two, just to challenge them to actually be doing something. You know, I, I had a, a text message from a friend of mine a week or two ago, and he he was basically saying, you know, what did you do between Christmas and New Year's? Because he did nothing. He just twiddled his thumbs, you know, watching movies and stuff like that. And and what I did for the first time was I actually made a list of things that I'd like to do that I haven't done either before or just I'd like a challenge. I'd like to be able to do something. It's so easy, you know, if you're stuck at home during the pandemic, especially if you're home a lot because the kids are home and you're homeschooling as well. Well, uh, it's hard to find things to keep busy that are actually kind of a productive busy versus right. just chillaxing the whole time, you know? So I think that's what artists have done where they've just challenged themselves to to write something. It doesn't have to be perfection. It doesn't have to be a polished, finished product, right. but just the fact yeah. that they've written a song. And again, it might never see the light of day and maybe it'll turn into something and it might not be 
you know, right away. It might be a few years down the road, mm-hmm. but that, there's no problem with that either. But exactly. it's just that whole whole thing of challenging themselves to do something. No, that is that is a good thing. Absolutely. Um, and, and also, it's not even it's beyond just doing something, songwriting and most creative pursuits. It's like a muscle. So the more you kind of do it, the better you're you get at it. Yeah. Um, so the more you kind of like try and jot ideas down and create something, um, you become faster at it. It becomes more of like a, you have to like, it's less about the, uh, I'm going to force out a song, but actually soon songs will sort of pour out of you really quickly. Yeah. So the more you do it, the better you get at it. And so it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great practice to do. I, I'm, I mean, I'm terrible at doing a song a day thing, but I try and do something, even if it's just a verse or a chorus or like a couple of lines, just trying to get something down, um, just to kind of keep that part of my brain active and working. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's like for me, uh, I, I have to play my guitar every day to keep the calluses up on my exactly. fingers. Exactly. Uh, and that's a great uh, analogy. So I'm down. De- I'm down there every day just banging around on my guitar playing and 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 the, always it seems like some idea comes. That's right. And so I hit that that memo button on my iPhone and there I record it and I've got just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of memos. I don't know if I'll ever get to go back to all of them. I thought I would tell my wife that and when I die just send out all my memo ideas to all of the Christian songwriters and maybe somebody can have something because I'll never get to them all. But I do that every day. I go down there and just play around on my guitars and get ideas. It could also be the lost music of Scott Wesley Brown. (gasps) Yeah. (laughs) It'd be like an album with, with, I don't know, 50 tracks on it. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) A bunch of choruses or whatever. Yeah. Can I say, Scott, what a pleasure to uh, have the opportunity to chat with you on our on our little show here. Um, it's Drew and I have been looking forward to this. And I guess what a lot of people don't realize when they listen to this show is that sometimes it takes weeks and months before, you know, we might book something. So we booked this conversation with you back in, yeah. I, I think it was, I think we booked this with you in November and now we're here in, uh, in January. Uh, so we've been, you know, waiting, anticipating mm. this conversation for some time. Yeah. And it was such a pleasure to chat with you. Well, likewise, I appreciate it. you. You helped me uh, remember a lot of great times. <laughs> Good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Hey, blessings to you guys. I, ha- I had high expectations on that conversation, and I was not let down. I am, I've, whenever I have a conversation like this with an artist like this, I'm always left the sense of gratitude. Like, when we talked to Stephen Curtis Chapman, we talked to David Crowder, we talked to these, these guys who have been, like, these large, sort of, like, living legends, these giants of the industry, I'm just left with, like, Wow. That was great. And not because we are in the, the presence of greatness, but because they bring with them the sense of, of humil- humility and experience and, and wisdom and, and knowledge and, and not right. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and they just offer it so freely. And I'm so thankful that we can have these kind of conversations. And they're not high on themselves. Right. Right. They're just 
yeah. guys just yeah. like us, yeah. you know. Uh, it was great to hear some of the stories, um, hear some of the other, quite frankly, pioneers that he's worked with. Yeah. You know, he yeah. is a pioneer in the CCM industry, but certainly the people he's worked with uh, and that he's still friends with and he still socializes with and texts back and forth and all that. that other stuff. That. That's just awesome to yeah. hear. Uh, and even the conversation uh, about the transition in music, the way it's evolved over the course of the years. Yeah. And then, of course, the technology side of things as well. It's always interesting to hear feedback. Uh, I was uh, intrigued with his thoughts on the Jesus movement. Yeah. And those, you know, call them good old days. Uh, there's nothing wrong with, you know, having some of that stuff come back. Yeah, that's like, right. You know, that's right. Just uh, we need some of that stuff to come back. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, writing music and, and everything else. So yeah. great conversation with uh, Scott Wesley Brown. What a privilege to have him on the show. Make sure you check out his website, scottwesleybrown.com, for all the details on socials and music and all the good stuff. That was so much fun. Yeah, it was. And now time to get to our artist advice for this week, coming from previous guest, Hillary Jane. Quality is key. People want to listen and view things that are quality. Um, so if you really want to make it and you really love Christian music, I would say don't forget that quality takes time and it takes resources. So, you know, don't be afraid to pick up a side job. That's what you need to do to make sure, you know, you're getting good mixes or you're getting good artwork done because those things really do matter. Um, so, yeah, don't be afraid to gather some more resources for quality art. Quality. One word. Yeah. That's all that really matters. Like she said, it takes time. It takes resources. If you need to have that side job going uh, just to be able to afford this sort of thing, do it. So do what you have to do if you're really passionate about it. That's it. And you know what, everybody? This is a rule that that every artist needs to remember. Um, It's also about time. So not just about cash, but also take your time with with the release, with the production. Not to go slow. But don't feel the need to rush through anything. Just kind of get it out. Sometimes yeah. what you need is to take the time you need to promote it well, to get it, you know, get all the details locked in place. Sometimes taking that extra time means better quality in the long run. Yeah, don't pull the whole, ah, it's good enough. I'll just leave it the way it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of us do that way too much. So. Oh, my gosh, yes. Thank you, Hillary Jane, and thank you to our guest this week, Scott Wesley Brown. And uh, that is it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast for new episodes every Monday. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. That just helps us reach more people. And please connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Between Grooves. We would love to hear what you think about the show. Maybe give some ideas for future guests. Connect with us there at Facebook and Twitter at Between Grooves. Was that like an audio problem that we were having there? It's like some feedback. That wasn't me. Yeah, it was, I think it was the, it was the internet, I think. <laughs> I'm sure it was the internet. <laughs> <laughs> what a goof.